Welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 115. Now, this is where we round up the most important tech, digital, and innovation highlights from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu. I'm really glad you could join us. Here on the show with me, as per usual, is the homie, digital marketing maven and founder of the Bridge Labs group, Musa Kalenga. What's up, bro? Hey, Angela, how are you doing? Look, look. <laughs> you see, that title is too long. You need to cut that Nah, dog. Listen, listen, bro. This is the last show of the year. Yeah, man. I, I'm not going to give you the abbreviated title, not the boot. Yeah. Um, you, you were the homie. I threw that in. Yeah. But, um, it's official are, now, right? It's Yeah, bro. But you are other things, too. Yeah. And you bring a lot of value to the show. Got to big up you, bro. Thank you very much, man. Welcome back, man. Uh, one last time for 2017, bruh. Yep. It's going to be good. It's been a good last couple of months. Dude, huh? it's been pretty insightful. I mean, we've had incredible guests. Yeah. Uh, we've been learning a ton. Yeah. We've been, uh, you know, just pounding the continent with our commentary. Yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, the, and the Twitterati have been responding. The Twitterati, eh? y'all yes. have been responding on social. <laughs> we just want a, a big shout out to yeah. all of you who engage us. Yeah. Long after, you know, the mics are turned off, you yeah. you keep the conversation going via social yeah. on Twitter and Facebook. Or when you even meet us in person. Mm. Um, we'll be telling you how you can keep doing that all through the holiday. But first, we have a special guest joining us for the very last podcast taping of 2017. It's a former consultant turned venture capitalist, a certain Rochelle Vallab. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you very much, Andita. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, the pleasure is ours, to be sure. You're the MD, of course, um, at Secha Capital. Uh, who did you leave in charge of the office, actually, while, while you're playing with us? <laughs> actually, there's nobody because Brendan's in the US. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I don't know how you're going to r- write this off to a productive couple of hours, but hopefully... Marketing. Marketing. <laughs> Marketing. Okay, cool. Well, listen, um, thanks for being here. You're, of course, here to debate. Uh, we'll discuss. We'll see which, which way it goes. Uh, we we brought you here to debate or discuss some of the more appropriate VC approaches uh, uh, for for the African continent. Um, it's been a huge topic for us over the last couple of weeks. Uh, many of you have been engaging us on online, as I mentioned earlier. But your co-founder, etc., actually reached out to us on, on on social media, going, "Hey, we think we're getting it right over here." Mm-hmm. And um, a little back and forth, and we thought, mm, he, "This dude might be onto something." Let's get him in. He's not here today, but he's you know he sent his MD. So <laughs> I, I think we're doing well. Thanks for being here, bro. Yeah, I'm glad. Brendan shot his mouth off and sends me into to do the hard work. <laughs> no, nah, look, we're, we're, we're a friendly bunch over here. We're a friendly bunch. So. I'll tell, um, tell you a funny story because yeah. it's serendipitous, right? I was I met uh, I met Rochelle about a couple about a month ago. What? We were both in, yeah, we we're both in Cape Town. We we're at AfricaCom and we we're running a program called A Stars. So he was one of the speakers oh, and I was snap. facilitating. Um, and I came back and you said we're going to be speaking to such a capital. I'm like, no, man. I'm pretty sure I know who this person is. So I went back and, my, and then I thought, oh, okay, Rochelle's going to be. And then we actually. A meeting what? about two weeks ago before what? we came on board. So it's, it's come full circle, man. <laughs> it is a very small world. This is the indeed. tech ecosystem right now. Right? <laughs> well, that's, that's how it goes. And uh, well, no, I'm well. I'm glad to be in on this party. Clearly, which got started long before I got here. Yeah. Um, but no, Rochelle, thanks for being here. 
Look, I mean, there, there was a discussion that started this whole thing based on our last show. You know, we asked the question, should Africa-focused investors back gorillas, gazelles, or unicorns? So if you haven't listened to that show, do the thing. Uh, visit africantechroundup.com. Go find the previous episode. Catch yourself up, and then you'll enjoy this particular episode that much more. What we're going to do is catch up on some of the biggest highlights to emerge over the last couple of weeks, and then we'll dig into this very fascinating topic. But first... This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the Africa Tech Summit Kigali. It's happening in Rwanda, which Kigali, of course, being the capital of Rwanda. It's happening on the 14th and 15th of February 2018. Now, this event is being supported by the Rwandan Ministry for ICT, and it promises to deliver unrivaled insights, networking, and business opportunities for African and international tech leaders and investors looking to drive business growth right here on the continent. Now, Rwanda is no doubt keen to position as a leading technology and innovation hub on the continent as sort of a you know africa's singapore if you will so i think it's quite fitting that this summit actually happened there i'm looking forward having never been to kigali myself to, to checking out what all the hype is about uh, they're making the news for all sorts of reasons it'll be fun um, to meet you there so do join us for this two-day gathering which will explore the latest trends uh, featuring over 50 expert speakers it will connect over 250 key stakeholders from across the continent through keynotes breakout sessions and of course networking events now african tech roundup is pleased to be an official media partner for this event and i look forward to meeting many of you and facilitating some important conversations both on stage and at the fringes of this event you know how we do we'll not give up the opportunity to get some dope conversations on tape so here's your call to action head to africatechsummit.com uh, head there right now to view the growing list of speakers who'll be attending and more importantly to take advantage of the 300 US dollar early bird booking rate which expires in January 2018 that's africatechsummit.com for all the information you need and to book yourself a seat come on see you there uh, with all that said and done, let's start with some interesting uh, acquisition news. Let's just get through some of the more interesting highlights. It's actually a fairly busy, you know, final quarter for African tech. Um, usually by this time of the year, we're struggling to find things to talk about. Um, but big names like EOH and Naspers and, and Steinoff that are trending here in South Africa for all sorts of horrendous reasons. Um, so there's lots, you know, to talk about because of that. But, um, some positive news as well in terms of acquisitions. Uh, starting first with the Kenyan on demand logistics startup Sendy. They've raised $2 million in funding to expand their operations. Uh, you'll recall you guys that, uh, Sendy offers a marketplace for last mile package delivery and logistics services. Um, they basically allow customers Customers to send packages and documents using a mobile app that connects them with mobile cyclists, uh, motorcyclists, and drivers of you know vans, pickup trucks, etc. Um, they also have a sort of ride-hailing service attached to that, which I heard they might be letting go off. I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so, guys, that's one. Feel free to factor in at any point. Uh, I'm going to list a couple more, and then I'll t- ask you to tell me which one probably excites you the best is that Mm. cool absolutely okay cool so that's one so sandy shout out to you two million uh dollars richer out in east africa m farmer uh shout out to accra uh because this ghana based company is starting to disrupt africa's pharmacy retail supply chain they are certainly setting their sights on much bigger things though they manage 
prescription drug inventory for pharmacies and their suppliers in no less than four African countries. Now, uh, they've landed $6.6 million in their Series A funding round. Um, they're not just that, though. If you've ever heard their founder speak about the business, you'll know that he has a pretty hard time trying to, you know, isolate the key things they do. They've got quite a few different uh, income streams, and it's quite interesting to hear them uh, describe that. But uh, no doubt a growing a growing business uh, with growing purchasing power, helping lower the cost of prescription drugs for patients. Um, yeah, so that's M Pharma. Shout out to you uh, all the way in Accra in Ghana. Sun Exchange, right here in South Africa, startup which offers peer-to-peer solar equipment leasing, um, at least running a marketplace for such uh, equipment. They announced a short while ago that the company uh, has raised $1.6 million in seed financing from several strategic partners, uh, not least the Network Society Ventures uh, outfit out in New York City. So they're looking to uh, boost their capacity to meet demand for their commercial-scale solar power projects in some of the more sunny places uh, in the world. And then, shout out to you, Egypt. The AI digital assistant startup Alves has secured $2 million in seed funding um, from investors that include Emar and the Kaufman Fellow Syndicate, among others. Well, they're famous for a tech-driven virtual assistant platform which uses a quote-unquote human-in-the-loop uh, methodology to drive machine learning and build AI. Uh, ultimately, what they're working on right now is a chat-based platform that allows users to talk to a superhuman assistant, as they call it, to do anything anywhere in the world um, and all for free, which is super interesting. I think last but not least of the, the more high profile and more notable items that caught my eye over the last couple of weeks is the fact that uh, the MassMart owned, and of course MassMart is the massive group, uh, retail group here in South Africa, owned by Walmart, uh, or, or mostly owned by Walmart. Um, they have a retailer uh, on the continent, or at least in South Africa, called Macro. They've acquired a majority stake in a delivery startup called OneDrop. And with this particular acquisition, the company is attempting to shrink the window in, ter- in terms of time between a customer order and a delivery. They want to shrink that from three days to three hours uh, for customers located within 20 kilometers of any macro store, which is quite uh, interesting. Uh, one drop you might recall has you know other large customers um, such as Standard Bank and Zando and the Fushini Group. Good news to all of those guys. OneDrop won't be dropping them. Excuse the pun. Uh, they'll they'll keep servicing them as they continue to obviously um, now sort of maintain relations with their owners at essentially Macro. So that's five interesting acquisition stories, guys. I don't know which one stood out to you and why. A lot of them. Hey? There's a lot happening at the moment. Yep. Um, I think if I just look at Kenya, uh, I mean, the Sandy story is really amazing. And I'm, yeah. I'm quite happy and proud to see that they're quite aggressive about their growth strategy. I think the COO, Malaika Judd, um, was also kind of uh, caught on camera saying that while they've concluded this $2 million deal, um, they're still got, engaging numerous investors around their growth strategy. So they're still seeking much uh, much more um, aggressive growth, which I think is great. It'll tie yep. into some of the stuff we'll speak about um, later on. Yep. Um, but very much in a space where I think they managed to find a niche around, uh, around uh, I think, uh, a place where Uber has been trying to go in more developed markets around, yeah. uh, you know, more than 
humans being transported, what else can be added to that uh, yeah. to that cargo experience? So pushing the logistics envelope, Cor- as it were. Correct. So yeah. micro-logistics, for lack of a better micro word. I don't know whether that's yeah. even a Last term. mile logistics. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Right. So that's a good thing. Um, and I think, once again, because uh, Malaika Judd and her founding team also uh, Kenyans. So yeah. it's and we rubbed shoulders with them, incidentally, <laughs> at the African Angel Investor Summit. Yes. Um, yeah, they were rather pleased with themselves sort of sharing on the. But again, also quite humbly, like you're saying, yeah. saying, listen, um, this is just one step in the right direction. Correct. Yeah. But it's a good thing. I mean, I mean that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and M I mean, I was quite interested to, see, to look at their business model a little bit more because at, at face value, it's not obvious what they do. But um, it says that the big opportunity for M Pharma is fixing the fragmented prescription drug supply chain common in African countries and other emerging markets, which I think is huge yeah. as a challenge. Because um, aside from just the fragmentation, there's a bunch of stuff that needs to be taken into consideration in relation to um, uh, compliance, in relation to the logistics, in relation to legalities of dis- uh, distribution of drugs, etc., etc., of which I am not a professional. However, um, I, uh, I just from the onset, I'm looking at that, I'm seeing it as quite a huge operation. And in four countries, it says they're already in um, the 10 biggest pharmacy chains, which is just under 186 outlets, which is huge um you know and once again i mean as a as a big hairy audacious goal trying to essentially arrange or organize the drug supply chain is a is a a, a great thing so i say big up to the guys uh from from m pharma i think his his name is greg roxon yeah um so big up greg in in a similar space kind of not really but kind of in in some respects with the folks that you know the art soul fellas um art soul team in in nigeria Mm. um look the health economic side of it is very very interesting you know you've just described some of the inefficiencies in Africa's sort of pharmaceutical supply and distribution infrastructure and all of that translates to super expensive drugs for people who really can't afford them and and anything you know audacious in that space yeah to, to bring, you know, affordable health care to a continent that desperately needs it to me, yeah. I think is a big deal. And yeah, also to see how a new player like this uh, navigates a legacy business with existing players who aren't exactly trying to go, well, who wants to play, you know, <laughs> um, and, and how they're going to go about breaking the door down uh, to, to make sure that ultimately, you know, the consumer wins yeah. every single time. I'm interested, Rochelle, you, you've, you've done, obviously, your, your, your time as a consultant. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm pretty sure you get exposed to lots of different stuff. You're in the more retail space now, but I mean, do you have a sense or an, uh, an opinion on, on M Pharma and what they're trying to do? So I think it's interesting, the three of the companies you mentioned are logistics-focused, mm-hmm. solving yeah. the, the Africa logistics problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a billion people that you need to get product to. Mm-hmm. The pharmaceutical has a great impact story where you can reduce the cost of drugs and, and uh, the impact that has on on people's lives um yeah so i think that's going to be a big trend and throughout this past year that's what we've seen a lot of logistics acquisitions and trying to optimize that on demand versus hmm. uh the uber for whatever you you want to call do you think it's token <laughs> or do, do you think there's an actual play for business value here i think there's actual business value here because if you end up with a consumer who pays x percent less for their drugs um does the consumption go up? Does do health outcomes uh, increase uh, retainability? And then what do you do with that network that you've developed already? Hmm. So f- do you expand from pharma into consumer goods or, or what happens then? How do you leverage that network, which I think is going to be interesting in the hmm. years to come? Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a huge, massive short-term opportunity from an efficiency perspective. I mean, that mm-hmm. is just phenomenal. But I, I, I can't agree more that uh, the actual impact there is the human is the human component, which everybody knows I'm a big 
fan of but um, yeah. in the long run being able to provide uh, accessible drugs to the correct person at the right time I mean that's where ultimately we sa- we're saving lives and creating sustainability we had Adebayo here who's one of the co-founders of Arxol. They they've got an uh, an AI driven uh, spectrometer which basically verifies the authenticity of drugs and they're based in Nigeria and they've got an impact uh, an impact narrative which they're basically rolling out on the, on the continent in terms of helping pharmacy groups and pharmacy distributors and, and manufacturers uh, basically ensure that the the fake drug problem on the continent which apparently is super prevalent they they're helping to solve that problem but at the same time they are looking to license the 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 IP they've created in you know around the world in places like Malaysia and similar markets and speaking to him you know I, I i got a much better appreciation for what's at stake in terms of the legacy players within pharma and either their lack of motivation to basically do the right thing why it might not make business sense or it might not be worth th- their while business wise to pursue th- the benefits we're discussing you know and so it must be quite an interesting place for m pharma to be mm. you know as a disruptor um th- if i was sitting at say roche somewhere mm-hmm. uh, roche for example i know is being investigated here in south africa um currently being investigated for for uh, pricing to do with certain very high end cancer drugs for example are you allowed to tell us that I, I am absolutely allowed <laughs> to tell us that. It's public record okay it's public record so yeah the um the competition commission's actually oh, okay. looking into them at the moment for oh, specific wow. drugs oh, wow. um so i think of people like them and i think about what leads to and I, and of course I have to say this very carefully it might well be that they're not overpricing drugs etc mm. but I'm thinking um that it may well be that the quote unquote disruptive element of what you know M farmers are said to do mm. has far deeper sort of real business impact absolutely on incumbents mm-hmm. then then we might realize just looking at it as a sort of interesting startup yeah you know? and I, i think it plays into that that very space that we know uh, elon musk has been fighting for a long time so when you're building electrical cars you're going to disrupt the motor industry exactly right so now you're going to be you know playing in the lo- optimizing logistics you're going to upset the pharmaceutical industry um and you need thick skin and a big balance sheet yeah. <laughs> and, and a well connected yeah. um group of people that are backing you to make that happen or you need a maverick leader that just doesn't care was going to be able to put pedal yeah. to the metal and go. So I think I kind of categorize that in the same kind of ecosystem yeah. um simply because of how much s- systemic change you're going to bring about if you get it right. Yeah. Um and I think that with it carries a lot of responsibility but I mean the the attempt is valiant and I think you know following the story and seeing how they do would be really exciting and yeah. interesting. To your point I mean I mean relative to the other sort of both acquisition the other sort of investment stories we've covered you know in this little segment uh, 6.6 million sounds like a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But when I mean, we start to sort of quantify what they're trying to do yeah. and the sort of size of the the Goliath they might be up against potentially mm. no, no, to realize that's it. peanuts in that context it's absolutely yeah. peanuts so like, yeah so that's yeah that's probably going to be more of the issue is whether they can capitalize so that their balance sheet and their network is able to carry them yeah. but yeah a lot of navigating and they hope they hopefully they have a very strong person who understands policy yeah. and relationships <laughs> Rochelle I'd be interested to your take on to hear your take on um you know macro acquiring one drop given your consulting background i imagine you may or may not have been you know uh in a position to sort of advise a client um in in this position given how you've worked in fmcg um at the highest level uh, in terms of consulting what sort of thinking goes into well entrenched big box retailer like macro buying a startup I think it's it's you having the questions around where where's growth going to come from. Now you can do that 
either by reducing prices, driving feet in the store, but then that comes with an, with an associated cost, right? So every person that comes through the store needs a uh, salesperson to consult, a cash uh, cashier to, to check them out. You've got to hold stock. Um, so where do you drive efficiencies? Um, and e-commerce online, as we know in the, in the developed markets, is a huge component of business. But I think in South Africa, it's just not there yet. Yeah. Still, the stats are that 1% of trade uh, is online wow. of retail trade. 1%? 1% in South Africa. Wow. Um, but it is growing. Um, and I think I did this when I was studying. We did a, a study with Google looking at different market maturities. And you look at how, as internet penetration increases, theoretically e-commerce also goes up. Yeah. In South Africa, we have over 100% mobile penetration. I don't know where the internet penetration is sitting. It's pretty no, high. The, the continental average is at, a, at like 20%. Yeah. Um, but I think South, South Africa is probably just probably higher, higher. Yeah. Um, but we haven't seen that growth in e-commerce yet. And I think yeah. the big reason, and this is just my opinion, is logistics. Yeah. South Africa, the the uh, delivery locations are just too far apart. Yeah. So paying 100 rand, 200 rand for delivery just does not make sense when yeah. your basket size is 500 rand or yeah. 300 yeah. rand, whatever it is. Um, so having one drop or um, yeah. right. uh, come in, try to get to scale uh, and drop those prices then makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And when you have that immediacy of going from three days, did you say, to three hours, three hours yeah. that's a complete game changer. Because, yeah. I mean, they already uh, offer multiple delivery service levels, uh, including stuff like on-demand, after-hours, same-day delivery, um, all at discounted rates for, for business customers in, in major metros, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Pretoria, Durban. I imagine a, a macro applying themselves to mm. <laughs> to sort of delivering well on that mandate, yeah. in addition to being a great retailer or, mm. you know, or continue to be a good re- retailer, probably quite difficult. Yeah, I've, I've got on good authority, and I can't tell, them, tell the name of the retailer, but I've got on good authority that there's only one retailer in South Africa hmm. that online sales surpassed in-store sales. Wow. Um, and that retailer is very niche. Um, and, and coming back to some of the barriers that, that I think you're mentioning, Rashil, um, I think if you've got a niche offering, and that niche offering has positioned you with a particular market segment. I think it's easy to, to build value. Macro is not a niche uh, play, right? Yeah. Macro is a, is a mass market thing. So when you decide to go one step to the left, you're going all the way to the left. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's not kind of you can't have a half-hearted uh, a delivery online delivery play. It has to be all of everything, and it has I think to work. that carries with it historic costs. So I think the acquisition of a one drop is hopefully to try and circumvent that. Um, and from from the stats and the and the report that they they put out or the the statement they put out is that they've had they just put they put they had pleasing results <laughs> as they've run a, as they've run a, a test what pleasing results means we don't know but yeah. we're I hate it when they don't tell them <laughs> what's up with that though guys am I the only one who, who finds that so annoying I know we get a lot of um, feedback on this particular issue people going Andile you're so right like what's with people not sharing numbers I don't get it and I mean you're a VC um, I've been all over your site. I can't quite tell like how much you've sunk into like the three odd investments that you've made. Is that strategic? Why? Like, why are we not being told what what's the what's the? I know, I, I know, like that. You know what? The cat is out the bag. There's all this pressure. I get that, but surely, I mean, if we start to create a culture around doing it, it won't be that bad. I think from our perspective, and, and the last deal was a good example of that, where people are asking us how much did we invest in, yeah. in G-Step. And it, it becomes difficult because then that becomes the benchmark, where the, the, the deal mechanics and the nuances of the deal 
may change the valuation. Will they come on podcasts like ours and explain <laughs> the nuances? You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but the consultant who's doing the research to, to understand what the multiples are is not going to listen to a podcast because they're crunching and trying to get something oh, out in, yeah. in an hour and yeah. they just look at, I don't know, Thompson Reuters the to see line. the different right. multiples. And, right. and, and that so there's a competitive the advantage right now to, to like keeping your cards close to your chest. I don't think it's a competitive advantage. I think it's just trying to not distort the market um, with information that y- you wouldn't, we'd never give you full information. Yeah. Um, and without that, then you can't make an informed opinion. Okay. Um, okay, well. Yeah. Look, so, I mean, it's one of the better explanations I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, 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 I'll let this one go, Rachel. You, you know, we don't want to you know, get, get you sweating um, for, for no reason. Yeah, but I mean, I really, it would be nice, wouldn't it, Musa, for us to know, for example, what one drop got out of this. Um, yeah. okay, because also there's a science to the, the corporate absorption of startups, you know what I mean? Versus, you know, because I mean, yeah. I mean they, they now essentially own this business. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that affects the relationship one drop has built with some of its other clients. Will it truly, as they say, yeah. continue to service anyone and everyone as they, as they have up until now? Will it quietly become really just another division within macro? Yeah. Will MassMart make a decision to make this a, 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 a resource exclusive to its group? You know, all of those things I think are interesting for us to understand yeah. in terms of like a startup's trajectory, yeah. you know, and, and where things go and how things work even after a massive acquisition like this at a sort of corporate level or corporate absorption level. Yeah. I think there is precedent for this. We look at what uh, Take A Lot when they acquired Mr. Delivery. Yeah. What did they do? They brought Mr. Delivery all in-house and then I, I don't know what they're doing today. Are they outsourced some delivery to other companies? And mm. So, so there is precedent for this and if we can follow that trajectory macro can learn some probably valuable lessons yeah. from We can that. all learn. I think mm. and there are founders everywhere who might mm-hmm. be wanting to be in the space we might understand better anyway shout out um, to all the the people we've mentioned in this particular segment call it the acquisition segment I know there are tons (laughs) of other acquisitions people are like ah you didn't give us a shout out we didn't give a shout out guys that's why we call it highlights (laughs) we pick the things that have piqued our interest (laughs) that we think the things that did the things that did the things man yeah not that everything else isn't worth talking about so shout out to you all if you took money and you know you've extended your runway good for you alright please don't send us letters about that okay (laughs) alright so can you next, right? So Safaricom is definitely flexing its mobile money muscles, but in interesting ways, perhaps to you know what we've seen them do in the past. They seem to be you know keen to take on the likes of Jumia for e-commerce dominance. Um, during their half-year results announcement recently, Safaricom told everybody that uh, Masoko.com is officially a thing, uh, an Amazon-style platform that allows vendors to basically enlist and. Yeah, Amazon slash Alibaba, I guess. Um, and yeah, a lot of people, you know, in the blogosphere going, whoa, look out, Jumia, you know, here comes Safaricom. But I think, there's, you know, there's something to that hype in the sense that, I mean, Safaricom looking for ever more ways to leverage this, you know, M-Pesa success of theirs. Um, and, and I think they're realizing that um, that advantage they had on everybody, probably say even just a year ago, um, slowly but surely beginning to erode over time. Um, yeah, I mean, we first heard of Masoko back in July. They told us what to expect. The Safaricom CFO saying at the time that Kenya had, you know, has this huge untapped potential for e-commerce, basically dissing everyone else who's currently in the play, in play. But um, I thought this was quite an interesting vibe, guys. What do you think? 
I'm on the site right now. I yeah. love this. I love this. It works, right? It, I, like, <laughs> I like the vibe. No, 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 no. I'll tell you what I love. What do you love? What do you love? <laughs> on the top right-hand corner, there's a banner that says, get a healthy 130-kilogram cow for 500 Kenya shillings. <laughs> yep, yep. This is Africa, right? Right underneath that, it says, get a full goat and three six-packs of Tusker, four liters of soda and spices for just 500 okay. Kenya shillings. <laughs> I love that. The product yep. mix is amazing. The product mix is incredible. I mean, this guy's going C to C, B to C, C to B. That's great. B2B. How do you deliver that? That's good. <laughs> exactly. I don't know, but that's great. I love that. And, and as, they, as they say in my language, Oxalayo. <laughs> what stays? Which is the direct translation. Yeah. Um, be that as it may. Yes. No. <laughs> um, you know, Safaricom is at this e-commerce party and they're yeah. flexing their muscles. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe Kenya, you tell us. Kenya, what do you think of this brand new offering? Is this the platform y'all have been waiting for? Has everything available up till now just been whack have you been dying to buy a cow online this <laughs> hasn't been possible <laughs> what on earth like are you excited about this thing tell us give us a shout on twitter or instagram at african roundup or uh give us a shout on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash african tech roundup or drop us an email or even better send us a voice note via email uh it's hello at african so not to be outdone right um uh, jumia quote-unquote Africa's first unicorn, um, is expanding a, a small business loan program into every country where they currently operate. Um, I thought this was pretty smart. They've partnered with um, Branch, the, the San Francisco-based uh, a lender, the fintech firm, and um, they've already started uh, offering small businesses startup loans. Uh, they started uh, back in May. Um, but yeah, roughly $290, um, six-month terms, interest rates of like 1.2% per month. I see like sneaky positive potential here. I, you made a face, Musa. You're not sure. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see how this fits in, right? Um, and maybe it's just opportunistic. You know, I mean, is this replacing? Is this uh, augmenting? Like, I'm not too sure. So Conga, Jumia's biggest rival in Nigeria, mm. from what I understand, um, investors weren't happy with their reluctance to sort of force people to pay up front for products because they sensed that the the, the the Nigerian market had to build trust in e-commerce and for the longest time, Conga delivered things and people would pay when things landed, mm. right? You can imagine the sort of cash flow nightmare yes. this, this created for them. And then so they put the bullet recently and they've just started, you know, listen, if you're buying, it's up front, pay for the thing, mm. it'll come, you know, trust us, this is the, this is the internet, it works. Mm. Um I'm sensing a, a renewed focus on the actual cash of the business, the, as it were, like the blood flowing the liquidity. through the system, the mm. liquidity mm. of e-commerce, as making an argument for its fundamental sort of viability. Artificial and, liquidity. Uh, artificial liquidity, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think Jumia making a play, you know, for what's really a lucrative or an increasingly lucrative fintech mm. market. Um, they're looking for ways in. Safaricom's not content to stay in their lane as a mobile telco or as a sort of fintech player, mm. um, mobile money player. They're coming this way. Juma's like, no, we're going to push back. We're going to offer people. They're shopping here already. They already trust us. We have a brand they like. Mm. We can make friends with some of the best in the business mm. and offer them what they need all in one place. The only, maybe it makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, the only thing in my mind is maybe, uh, as you said, maybe as an artificial way to bring liquidity into the online space and at the same time try and achieve the deepening of relationship thing. So if you, if you yeah. lend to someone, yeah. it means that you've got a 
you, you owe them and you know who they are and you, yeah. you, you know what I mean? So when you go online and you're going to redeem or buy, you're not starting to ask the question who this person is, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking about it in terms of how you develop a relationship that gets around trust. That's the only way in my head I can potentially see yeah. that working, right? Well, it's just an experiment. Who knows? Like, yeah. If you want to include... Yeah, yeah. Improve the liquidity, then you'd finance the products rather than yeah. offer the, loans. Yeah, but to the point you're making, I think that's part of the whole thing where it's like they're now in a position to offer you credit. Where uh, I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but I know the furniture business, for example, the, the, the retail furniture business in South Africa is not really the retail furniture business, it's really a banking business, right? Yeah, um, so maybe in the spirit of hey, you guys are already shopping, perhaps you can't afford this expensive uh, perfume you're already buying. Hey, you know, get it over Christmas. We'll give you, we'll but give not, you some. Not offering cash loans. Mm. So maybe it's not a cash loan business. So the headline says Junior expands lending program for small businesses across Africa, right? Yeah. Then it says the e-commerce company in Sub-Saharan Africa is expanding the small business loan program into every country where it operates because they're trying to offer start-up loans for small businesses. I met one of the the founders of Jumia. It was one of the francophone countries. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. But basically the founder that, that took Jumia into those countries and, and really how they built the business in part was by finding a super user in, in certain areas. And what tended to happen was the business was propped up by by a, a sort of small army of super users that tended to turn into sort of mini retailers in their areas. So, so they so bring on board like certain, yeah, certain individuals. Trying to replicate building yeah, so mini super users and then... Exactly. Yeah. So you're a super user who now buys sort of tissue paper and pads at like ridiculous rates because you're buying them directly from Jumia at, at, at mm-hmm. slash prices and then you in turn sort of retail them to your neighborhood or whatever it is. Interesting. So I know that has been quite key to them opening up certain markets. I know certainly in smaller francophone nations. So, so the network effect of giving a small loan means that you'd be able to buy product. That product will be able to be yeah. used almost network the network effect, right? Yeah, maybe now it's Christmas time. You know, um, okay. you know how long it takes for product X. I don't know. Maybe people need a ton of cooking oil margarine or sugar whatever okay. you know you need in the village or whatever it is mm-hmm. and you don't have the money to sort of buy it all up front mm-hmm. and and make sure that you have enough to supply the village or your neighborhood but thanks to this vendor loan pro- program um you can so i don't know um let's see i mean again does is this working are you a vendor who's on this program i believe so far something like 200 vendors have applied for and received loans via this this new program is is it working is it helping you have we articulated it correctly do we have no clue tell us tell us tell us <laughs> and let's let's stick with e-commerce for a bit because how about this have haven't you guys wondered like where the heck is alibaba in terms of like um, we see eBay sort of partnering with certain p- people, you know, in, in West Africa. We see, you know, we know, you know, Amazon's on the continent in millions of other ways already. Alibaba, one of the world's biggest sort of e-commerce players. Like, where are they on the continent? Have you wondered? Well, I did. Guess what? <laughs> it looks like Alibaba Group is bringing e-commerce to Africa, beginning with Nigeria. Uh, surprise, surprise. Now, that makes all the sense in the world, given the size of that market. So, shout out to you, Nigeria. Souvenir.com, apparently. A friend of the show, Aaron Fu, he's a new managing director at Mest, uh, formerly at Nest, um, uh, recently spotted an announcement made in Chinese via the Chinese Nigerian embassy website saying that, you know, Alibaba was now in some sort of strategic partnership, whether it's like there's an acquisition or mm-hmm. like a part, like 
clearly they're, they're experimenting or at least researching what to do here on the continent through this. How, how does that make you guys feel? Mm, it certainly makes sense because uh, wasn't Jack Ma sniffing around Rwanda yes. in 2017? Yeah. Yes, bruv. Yep. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah. here. He was here, right? He was here. Um, I suppose, one, one, it's good that he's made good on his intentions, but yeah. uh, two, um, it's believable because of that. I think uh, Alibaba have, uh, have got a big balance sheet. Yeah, like what are <laughs> they not doing here? Like it's, it's, it doesn't actually, actually doesn't make sense that they're not already here in some Exactly. Way. Where are the Alibaba? We should start a hashtag. Where are the <laughs> Where are the Alibaba? <laughs> then, uh, and he's also supporting a bunch of entrepreneurs, I believe. Yes. Like $10 million or something like that. Yes, yeah. he promised, right? Yeah. He did promise um, that the Alibaba Group, in partnership with the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, the yeah. UNCTAD, yeah. Um, that they would host this class, this ongoing class, a rolling class, of African entrepreneurs who would visit China two weeks at a time for these intensive courses. You know, the first bunch have gone through. I'm hearing good things. I'm looking at the blogosphere. People are, you know, people are, he's actually meeting with them. They're getting to see how Alibaba works. They're being introduced to like the, the fundamentals of e-commerce, Chinese style. Hmm. You know, he's promised up to a thousand entrepreneurs in developing countries, and you know, including those on the continent will, will benefit over the next five years. So shout out to you, Jack Ma. Yeah, man, do the thing. Yeah, do the thing. Uh, do the thing. And then, of course, I mentioned, uh, you know, back to South Africa briefly, guys, um, your sense. Big tech in Africa, big quote unquote African tech is not doing well right now, just in terms of like the headlines just fielding bad PR, whether you think Naspers um, and we don't have time to get into it. I mean, <laughs> just Google what Naspers is going through and they're being investigated for a couple of things. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's it's all very embarrassing, yeah, given they're, the, you know, the continent's biggest tech firm. Uh, by market cap and so there's Nasbers, there's EOH which just in the last week lost something like 40% plus of their uh, market value mm. on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange um <laughs> then there's Steinoff, which, is which isn't technically a tech firm, but goodness me. Oh, my word, Steinoff. Oh, my so word, nice. Steinoff. Um, oh, my word, Steinoff. So many big sort of retail brands are here on the continent, broad, um, uh, yeah, as part of that stable. So much corruption, guys. Just your sense of, you know, where big tech is faltering. I mean, last year was the year MTN just bit dust and like just took it from all sides this year i mean they had some issues in benin and other things but more or less their pr improved you know um but big african tech is struggling i think in, t in terms of pr terms also just in terms of the fact that they, you know it's unfortunate to see like how they lack integrity in many ways that we'd rather not see them fail i think it might be old school leadership in a new school world like you know the things that are really important to making technology businesses work um, the kind of principles that need to be applied to be a leader that makes sense to an organization in this day and age that's technology related they're fundamentally different to old school principles of leadership right and there is obviously a huge sense in technology businesses that there's a lot that they can do and get away with um, just because of the size that they are there's I don't think there's a real sense of accountability I think a lot of them get to the point where if they ever do get caught or if they ever have been caught which obviously has been happening they just pay the you know pay the piper and move on with their lives right yeah. so and that isn't if, if you look at new school leadership that is fundamentally wrong like they, yeah. there's just no way you can identify with that notion um, fix the problem don't try and you know put lipstick on the pig so I think this old school kind of way of leading in this new 
transparent and more uh, demanding uh, when I say demanding demanding of, of leaders as leaders to show up as leaders um, I think it's creating you know cracks uh, that obviously compounded by the the reality of economics nowadays is that you know you have to be you have to be really smart to get value out of this ecosystem yeah. you have to be able to to connect unrelated dots and you have to be able to find efficiencies where they may not have existed before yeah. um, and once again maybe that's a skill or maybe that's a leadership thing um, but in a tech business where you've got you know people who ha- weren't native to um, to, to, to social or to whatever is going to become augmented yeah. reality whatever is going to be the world we're moving into um, you, you're bound to have these kind of missteps um, and the solution are you taking the shots in part at the fact that so many so many of the implicated leaders within and, and it's not just tech firms but tech firms have taken a massive bite I mean I, I haven't even mentioned SAP and, yeah. and some of the consulting firms thankfully yeah. your your <laughs> alma mater <laughs> Bain Arishil, and so far really like um, doing quite well in, in keeping themselves much above you know some of these l- lower uh, unfortunate dealings but a lot of the executives implicated in these issues they come chartered the, accountants correct they well, that's one thing. They're chartered accountants. These, these are not young men. They're yeah, not, they're not they're, they come from a very particular age of leadership. Yeah. They come from a very particular discipline of yeah. leadership. Um, and Shout I out think- to you, Stellenbosch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm going to get so much flack for that. So much flack. So much flack. It's not just Stellenbosch, but yeah, I mean, yeah. okay, let's just move on. Okay. But I think there's an archetype of leadership that is going to be faltering because of the way the, the things have shifted, right? Uh, and once again, I mean, you'd assume that there'd be young Thundercats making these mistakes. Stakes, but they're not. You know, yeah. these are old, seasoned, um, investable, risk-free uh, executives yeah. that are senior and that have done this for the longest time. Yeah. And that very thing is the reason why they've got a problem. Is that yeah. the stuff they've been doing for the longest time? Um, uh, there's a saying: uh, when the when the wave goes out, you'll see who's been swimming without their underwear, right? Wow! And so the wave comes back out, and That's you see it. all the people that have been swimming without underwear. And it's unfortunately, it's a very particular archetype of individual. Rushil, I know you're free to sort of skip a, a topic if you don't want to talk about it, but Brian, it's Quiet over in this corner. <laughs> like it's, it's so risky too. <laughs> You're like, I'm trying to invest. Yeah, yeah. I'm always with Bain. They've got clients. I'm not trying to get in trouble. No, I totally get no, you. But I, I, just I think it's, what's the role of business? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's sort of changing where mm. before it was all for your shareholders. We're all creating shareholder value and that's our focus and that's where the leadership mentality mm. is. Whereas now, I think business has more to do. It's more for society, for the, mm. the environment within which you operate. And again, to the transparency that social media has allowed us all to have the same conversation at the same time, yeah. rather than a few people knowing about things. Yeah. So I think, yes, it may have always been going on. It's just now coming to the light a mm. lot more. Yeah. Um, and as business models change, hopefully we start seeing less of this or leaders becoming more accountable and, and responsible in the way that they do business. Mm. And I'm kind of, I'm throwing the baby out of the bathwater. I think, you know, and I say that respectfully. I think these are big organizations, man. Like these are not small yeah. spazer shops. Number one, number two, they've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. So all of their peers and all the people within that ecosystem, in my view, are very similar. It's just that they haven't been caught yet. Yeah. When they do get caught, they'll get a slap on the wrist and maybe we'll move on with our lives. Yeah. But I kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite pessimistic about it. Yeah, not, it's been not, a bad year. Not, I mean, there was APSA. There was, the, yeah. and I mean, just to, in fairness to EOH, um, EOH Holdings, of course, the IT service management company. I didn't explain that their stock dropped. What they've come to market with, and they're trying to explain this, is that um, it's due to what they're saying was a forced sale of shares by you know financial institutions against equity finance transactions, which is really just a lot of words. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I suppose they, they've come out sort of explaining that you know there's there's sort of sensible um, business 
you know, logic to why we not sort a of, chance. No, 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 no. This is what they're saying, right? There's business logic to it because this is distinct and unique from us being implicated in the crypto leaks and and we don't want you being confused with what's going on at Steinhoff right now. What? Right. But but yeah, this is this is totally this but is where director takes out uh-huh. the leverage position on his own company that no, to on. those values. Which it's business as usual, bro. Stop, <laughs> drop, <laughs> shut him down. Oh, no, no man, that's nonsense. So no, no, no. So I, but I, and here was I was playing. I was trying to play Devil's Advocate for two seconds. It didn't work. Um, but yeah, no. So it's been a disappointing year. Actually, yeah. it's been a disappointing couple of years mm. for for big tech. Um, MTN leading the pack out there. Um, everyone involved with the like the the, the hashtag Gupta leaks vibe. Um, but can All I please can now. I interject there? Because yeah. I think with every good crisis, never waste a good crisis, right? So yeah. because it's been so disappointing, and I'm going to put on my come on, Brad Maven. Yeah, because it's been so disappointing, it's creating a real opportunity for young yeah. CEOs to rise up and show them how it's done, right? Come so, on, Bridge Labs. Come on, Set Your Capital. Exactly, come on, exactly, right? So it has to happen. You know, yeah. it's part of it's part of the shift. It's part of the change. And yes, we sit and we are, you know sometimes maybe a little bit pessimistic, but yeah. within that, there's an amazing opportunity for all the guys that are out there doing the right thing and doing it correctly building shared value building great businesses you guys the, t- the time is now like you, you know, we need to be in the space and if we we're not going to step up and say well you know what we've got an alternative to start off and we can do just as well yeah. if not better at half the cost at a better efficient whatever it is yeah. um, but I think it's creating that opportunity so let's not look at it as just a crisis in leadership let's say it's a fra- it's a fracture that allows the, the, the good or the not the good is wrong the next generation yeah. of leaders to be able to show themselves yeah. so, so come, yeah. come up to the wicked come yeah. on straight Absolutely. So, so here's one of the sadder social media posts. I think it was on Twitter. I saw someone share, and it was so earnest. The guy was like, "Dude, I cannot believe it." Same time this year, um, a financial advisor, uh, a sort of a wealth manager, advised me not to invest in Bitcoin and to 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 go all in on Steinoff. Wow. Someone someone actually shared that on the Steinoff uh, hashtag, and I'm thinking, so that's that's. If that, there couldn't be a better segue <laughs> to, to what I'd like us to talk to next. And we're sort of officially now in the international news segment. Bitcoin, people. Uh-huh. Bitcoin, people. Show oh, me my money. word. Show me the money. Come on. <laughs> Make it rain. I mean, goodness. I mean, we sat here like um, two, three months ago. Musa at the time had this ridiculous paltry sum of, sum of like 120 bucks or something. It's now 250. Come on, get with it. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, just how far we've come in like flipping a quarter or mm. two mm. Uh, in terms of like, you know, the debate was initially, is this like a legitimate sort of asset class? Is it going to, is it a bubble? Is it going to burst? Is it what? Is it a real currency? Is it only good for like storing value? Is it, Oh my word! Like I don't even know what to think anymore, Rochelle. Like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one then. <laughs> but seriously, like in your mind, firstly, question one: Is this in your mind a legitimate asset class at this point? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it is. If, and you said invest in Bitcoin. Yeah. What are you investing in? Is it ones and zeros? And again, I know you're. You're probably going to get yeah, a lot my of flack. Problem, yeah. You're going to get a lot of flack for what I say here. <laughs> yeah, but, no, no, but, um, I, but I'm I don't understand. in your perspective because you come from a slightly different world. Yep. And yeah, so like, yeah, so unpack that. When you say that, like, what do you mean? You, you're asking me the question yep. to make a point, which is? If you are investing or if it's a store of value, what is that backed up by? Is there a balance sheet? Are there income? Is there dividends? Or what is that? Or are you just betting on the price increasing because there's a limited uh, supply and increasing demand. Mm. Uh, I always thought Bitcoin was meant to be a transactional currency, but uh, 
these prices and looking at the values going through, it's three transactions per second, which is very little or something compared to what Visa does. So it's not really a transactional. Yeah. Um, so I don't understand it. And, I, and I, I told Brendan before I come here, I said, I hope they don't ask me about Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And I mean, uh, none of us really know, let's be honest. And I mean, I, I love it because it's also new. And, and Simon Dingle, who's our mate, who's probably the most knowledgeable Bitcoin person who's a friend to the show yeah. at this point, um, it's great. Um, he he he's the first to admit, given despite all he knows, how little everyone knows, and I think that's that's part of its appeal. But to answer your question, to me, Musa, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, what am I investing in? I'm investing in a currency that's rooted in the blockchain, which, frankly, it, to me, is far more trustworthy uh, a sort of point of reference than sort of some old men in the U.S. sort of dictating why you know a us dollar is worth what it's worth okay so on that sort of very simplistic level as a currency i'm like okay i prefer that you know idea wise okay so this isn't because i'm not hugely invested in this currency or anything but I, in terms of like the the ideals that drive this thing like i like that idea i also get the fact that there's limited amounts of it so i can understand that as a limited commodity the market dictates what, you know, what, you know, if willing seller, willing buyer, I mean, if, you know, um, I also see its benefits in terms of like cutting out the middleman, uh, you know, you know, all the arguments that we've heard before, like, yeah. why have we been okay with all these intermediaries for so long? Like, mm. uh, I'm not saying they've all been rubbish, but they've all, they've been, been, rubbish. all been rubbish. <laughs> uh, no, but no, but I mean, they, by and large, they haven't been, they haven't served humanity. You know, in in the way that they ought to, and I can understand why they're not sufficiently motivated to do the right thing all the time. Yeah. And and here's the sort of democratized thing mm. that, at least in spirit, mm. like suggests that we could be better people. Yeah. You know, and we could get this right. And and I know that's a very naive view, but I mean, when I think invest, when someone says I'm investing in in Bitcoin. I'd like to think, aside from the fact that they think they can get rich quickly, mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think that's what they're buying into. I don't know. Musa, you got into this a little earlier than I did. Um, yeah, I, I got into it purely because of curiosity. but yeah, you Just know, to know how it works a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, and and, and my, my limited understanding, obviously, the, so, so blockchain being a... It's like it's a it's a it's a really sophisticated way to store records, yeah, um, and lots of records and at high volumes and with super security with the, right. With the crypt, right? So and, and through those records you can do a lot of things, and one of the things is you can you can transact. So yeah. that's where cryptocurrency comes from, um, and that cryptocurrency network that allows you to be able to you know democratize blah 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 yeah. is what's super appealing because obviously the the net value that comes back to the end consumer is a lot higher than what they're taking out. So so I also subscribe to that. The question is. If you look at you know the, the implication of things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and the rest of it, is I think there's two views. The first view is you know based on speculation is, is you know we're seeing because of limited demand the value kind of tripling and doubling and doing all sorts of amazing things, and there's a speculation reward that can be associated, which I think is going to be fairly short term, right? Then yes, the reward will be there, but it's not going to be for anyone. Yeah. And there's going to and I think Simon also yeah. pointed out that it's not it's you know it's not going to go on like this forever. Yeah. But what is exciting is the underlying technology because you you won't be able to undo that overnight yeah um <clears throat> or at all ever, or ever. exactly yeah. so it's kind of like a fundamental shift transactional shift but it's more kind of the 
um, the, the, the kind of the chassis of the engine as opposed to the headlights, right? Yeah. So the question is when you start to build on this engine, what are the possibilities? And that is exciting. Yeah. And I think that is probably a more uh, sober and, 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 yeah. and long-term view on the opportunity. Um, and then it goes just, it goes outside of currency. It goes into a lot of other things. Relating to Correct, right? Um, Record keeping, blah, blah, blah. They, you know, mapping countries. Flipping, correct. You know, DNA storage. Did property it. records. Exactly. So, so I think that is really where the opportunity is. And I think a lot of people, I think some that are clever are starting to figure out which companies are starting to tinker there Mm -hmm. because that's where the long-term value is and those that are kind of getting a short-term and there are guys that are making a lot of money right now very short-term but the question is and my view is probably I give it six to eight between six and eighteen months, yeah. we'll start to see that that the, that number starting to fall and it's starting to equalize a lot more. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, eighteen thousand is what it surged to yeah. after it began. You know, um, you know, after sort of Bitcoin futures started trading, um, the the site actually. I mean, this was the the sort of first major global exchange. You know, in the past week, started trading Bitcoin futures. People mm. are just going nuts. Mm. Uh, oh my word! The the site actually you know crashed. Um, does this somehow help legitimize the issue or does it compound your problem <coughs> I think with it? it compounds my problem because the, the futures are, I think at last I checked again this morning, was a $1,500 difference to the actual Bitcoin, right? So <laughs> oh in an efficient market, you just arbitrage the hell out of this yeah. uh, and make a ton of money. But it, it doesn't feel like an efficient market. or it's Yes, the price is being set by the demand, mm. but there's something that I just don't quite get. Um, and I'll be fair in saying and I don't get it either. <laughs> and he's a smart guy. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> he's with Bain. He was with Bain. They don't hide it. So, um, Africa, we want to know how you feel about this. I mean, there's a proliferation of exchanges. There's um, there's not just Bitcoin to speak of. I think Bitcoin is really now just the poster child for mm. the crypto the crypto uh, industry. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, by and large, you know, the biggest names most people know, even if they know nothing about blockchain or or cryptocurrency and for that reason we discuss them um and to, to qualify everything i said before i'm not a huge bitcoin fan mm. i'm not sitting here with tons of my family's money in it um i do like some of the fundamentals that back up its existence and etc what do you think africa give us a shout what do you make of this whole bitcoin thing are you playing the futures exchange now how much of your of your family's life savings do you have in bitcoin at the moment <laughs> Uh, a, a business I'm not even going to mention his, his name not because I'm, I'm being mean about it but I, I don't really remember it but some agency in Cape Town actually reached out to me via DM it's, it's a fairly large agency with 30 people etc they've been bought um, it, it, uh, they've been partially acquired by a UK uh, uh, investor and the whole transaction happened on Bitcoin he's like please pu- pu- push this talk about this on your show I was like how much is this uh, transaction worth he's like no that's not the story See, you're not the only one of that thing. That's not the real story. And I'm like, actually, it is because I have questions about tax issues. I've got questions about where is this company domiciled? No, no, no. We, you know, we, we are kept, we're definitely a South African company. Well, then I'd, I'd love to know how SARS looks at that transaction. And because that to me is the conversation. Like, how is this going to impact our lives? Mm. We're sitting here talking. I'm sitting here sort of waxing lyrical about, you know, the, the, the sort of ideals that this, this crypto wave represents. But in real terms, like, how are governments, our sort of financial industries, how how our business, how does it affect um, Musa if one of his startups are technically acquired in Bitcoin right now, right here, right now? Like, does that make a difference? Is it better for your business? Is it better for your investors? 
I don't know, but I think that's where the story's at. And that's mm-hmm. why, my brother, I know you're listening. Um, I've forgotten your company. I would give you a shout-out. I just don't have it in front of me. But it is an interesting story. When you have more information to share, circle back. Uh, just a few more things real quick. I just want your your immediate uh, responses to Uber being caught cheating. Um, they, well, I mean, as it turns out, uh, they there was a major hack data breach, uh, in fact, uh, affecting 57 million users. Um, of, of Ubers, um, they didn't feel the need to report it, of course, because look, they did the right thing. They reached out to the hackers and went, "Hey, you guys are really good at breaking hacking our system. Maybe you should help us protect it." <laughs> and we have this little program that allows us to engage with people like you. <laughs> and therefore, we've done everything we need to do as an entity of our size and scale, and we're doing the responsible thing by really just partnering with you and making sure that this doesn't happen again. And because we've done this. People like Andy Lin and, and Musa who use Uber every day don't ever have to know, right? Mm-hmm. Come on, guys. How do you feel about that? Musa is this, is this a young CEO who has messed up now. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is such a bad example, though. That's so unfair. Oh, Travis is Travis, like, he's an outlier. He's an outlier. And he's um, gone, by the way. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so they say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some say Tupac is dead. You take it some, say, <laughs> some say Elvis is history. I don't know. Um, <laughs> some say. So, um, but yeah, like just, just, what do you guys feel like in your gut? What's your immediate reaction to that story? I hate all these data breaches. I feel like yeah. hum- uh, consumers need to put value on. A lot of people say, oh, but it doesn't affect me. Yeah. No, it does affect you. It affects your family and your friends and yeah. how that uh, impacts you. And, and even in the U.S. with the, the credit card agencies that got breached and yeah. half of the U.S. social security numbers or whatever it is. Horrible. Or hurts now with their data breach and going, oops. Yeah. Hey, and, and your passwords weren't even encrypted. Ah, oops. How <laughs> bad. How <laughs> bad. You know? I don't know. As consumers, we should put a value on that and, yeah. and, and then have the discussion. Yeah, it's a yeah, tough one. Hey, Musa, I, you, you just at loss. Yeah, look. At a loss. Mm, look, I think the sanctity of data can, can never be compromised. Let me start from that perspective. So the corporate the corporates should be held to the highest account when it comes to data and protection thereof. The, the, the reality and the problem is that for a consumer, if the perceived value I'm going to get by giving you my data is higher than the perceived cost of the breach happening. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> you know, so, so that becomes the problem, right? And because of that, like there's great service. I mean, Google's a very, is a classic case in point, right? It's, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it adding value to your life? To know that when you're sitting in a room doing a podcast, Google will then say to you, why don't you go down the road and grab some pizza? Is it valuable? Yes, absolutely, because I might be hungry at 12 o'clock. But for them to be able to do that, <laughs> they need to understand and know a lot of stuff about me. So when they say to me, is it okay if we can access your your, 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 your coordinates? And I'll go, of course, because you're going to give me value. Yeah. Can you can we suggest responses <laughs> for your emails? Yes, of course. <laughs> That's scary how I've got it. So how cool is that feature, though? Yeah, sounds good. good. Yeah, see you soon. <laughs> I'm like, guilty. I'm you guilty. Know? I don't know. Like, thanks, thanks. Can't wait. Like, how did you know, bro? Like, see you soon. Thanks, can't wait. Like, wow. Exactly. And this is where the problem is, is that the net value at the moment is still 9 out of 10 times going to be higher than yeah. the perceived risk. Because, yeah, number one, people are not educated about data breaches, first and foremost. Yeah. The probability of that happen is, is small. It's getting bigger. Maybe it's not even getting bigger. Maybe it's just now we know about it. Yeah. Right? It might not be getting bigger. Yeah. So that's where I kind of have a little bit of an uh, internal battle. But I, I did start off by saying I think every organization should be held to the highest yeah. account when and it comes to I think to Uber's going to be roasted. Right? I mean, the, the justice machinery over there is just sharpening knives for these guys. It's been a horrible year, Uber. Mm. 
At this point, I'm just feeling for them. I mean, uh, you know, going to the festive season with this hanging over their heads. They need a hug. They need a hug. <laughs> Uber, you need a hug. Give, hashtag give Uber a hug. There's an app yeah. idea. <laughs> hugs, hugs on demand. Uh, uh, or hug Travis. Demand. Travis, do you need a hug? <laughs> yeah, well, they're taking me home. I'm doing my thing. It's all good. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm contributing to that. So, guys, final, the final story in this segment. And I've just had so much fun. I know we're supposed to get through this so much faster for our discussion. And we will have, like, a quick chat about, you know, why you are actually here. <laughs> like, why was I? Why did I agree to this to this appointment? Cryptocurrency. That's why. Cryptocurrency. Yeah, let's roast it. But let's roast it for like now before we actually talk about anything. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So finally, um. Again, do you know rounding off our international uh, sort of highlight section? Um. The U.S. is all set to abandon net neutrality. Um. The FCC, of course. Um, has has come out explaining how net neutrality will be protected without the need for net neutrality rules. Guys, listen, your ISP is going to do the right thing here. All they're going to do is going to charge other people um, for faster, for much faster speeds than you currently enjoy, much faster. And they should have the right <laughs> to charge a premium to large companies that can afford faster speeds. It's not going to affect you at all. And... Who needs rules to, to do? They're just going to come and sign little documents saying they promise. They <laughs> promise. Who needs rules for that? Target. <laughs> so by the time you listen to this, I mean, we're probably a day or two away from what is this point is uh, unlikely to be anything but U.S. lawmakers basically dumping net neutrality rules. But most people will listen to this way after that. Now, that'll be history. Like net neutrality will be the thing we'll be looking back on. Um, so, guys, final take. Um, how does this make you feel? Who needs a hug? <laughs> Everybody, Everybody is like, <laughs> but some people's uh, cynics I've been picking up on on social media. But mates of mine actually, um, uh, shout out to you, uh, Peter uh, Peter Pile. Um, I, he said this to me ages ago. I think he even wrote an article on it uh, a while ago, going like, "What net neutrality? If we're talking, if we're talking on the African continent, like seriously, like what net neutrality? Um, Where is Facebook not sort of?" Like trampling all over that, most Af- in his mind, like come on, that horse is bolted. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Do you think that's true? I do think the horse is bolted, and I think the net neutrality conversation is really one about consequence. Um, I remember there was a statement released at some point uh, by, by by Mark Zuckerberg speaking, obviously out uh, in favor or against, sorry, net neutrality. Oh, so you know how I've, I've totally forgotten that Musa used to work at Facebook. By the way, <laughs> Musa is like uh, was employee Facebook Africa employee number two. Just so you know, nice. Right. So he he might know a little something about Facebook. But tell us about your former boss's take on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the former boss's take on the matter was, you know. The pipes that get laid down will get laid down by those that have money, right? The money and the infrastructure to be able to lay down those pipes. What then goes through those pipes, um, ultimately, for a period of time, is going to be adding a whole lot of incremental benefit to the people on the end of it, especially in the Africa context, right? So access, so you, know, so you lay down infrastructure, then give people internet access. Because they can search for jobs, the immediate benefit is, is super high. The consequence over a longer period of time is where the problem comes in, right? And his view kind of stopped at the immediate benefit. He said, yeah. well, you know what, obviously, people are going to be able to access stuff. People can share. People can, and, and I get that, but it's a very fluffy view. My view is further down the line, now that people have developed and they've gotten more sophisticated, and they've been able to provide information. They've been able to give um, unfair 
uh, insights on um, mass to these big pipe. You've providers. sold them gunboats and ammunition. Yeah, correct, and then you've got some to, beads. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they're exactly. happy with that for now. Like it's all it's all nice and dandy. Correct, but uh, later on they realize, hang on, my land. Hmm, <laughs> I might need that. You know, and that might be useful. Uh, correct, and, and I think that is probably where the and, yeah. and and that's very that's not a short term view. It's a long term view, and it comes down to also being, I suppose, in Africa and having an African interest at heart is that that's typically where a lot of advantage is always taken is yeah. that you give someone a, you know you give someone a gun and you say no this is protect this to protect your home yeah. um, and then all of a sudden you say no we got to go and protect your home from those guys meanwhile those guys are not not, yeah. not even you know and then you're using the gun yeah. but you were given the gun to protect your home uh, you're giving information yeah. to better your life and yeah. all of a sudden the information you know so I, being organized being <laughs> you know what I'm like what so 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 that's where I've kind of I've evolved my thinking a little bit to be um pessimistic is the wrong word but more cautious yeah. um, I know a lot of the the bigger platforms and the bigger supply the uh, supply side uh, organizations google facebook da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, we've been hugely in favor for obvious yeah. reasons but i, I mean think the ice piece, i mean in, i mean really what we're talking about on the continent we're talking about the fact that <laughs> isps or just let's say tech giants in general tech giants that will will be not the arbiters but basically control our access to tech infrastructure they will now be in a position to offer the highest bidder the best possible service mm-hmm. except that we you know we're banking on their goodwill they they will be in a position to just offer you know the poorest of the poor or really the the rest of us the average of us um, really whatever they feel is deserving of whatever peanuts we can afford to give them mm-hmm. and and that's really sad because we're going from a place where an almost equal opportunity even in at least in principle mm. at least an ideal an equal opportunity scenario to to one where we're just allowing barons to to own uh, access to to what's becoming a super vital resource. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Rochelle, you've been quiet and I understand like <laughs> Rochelle's just tapping his his lips going, oh boy. Tech yeah. is not my world. <laughs> no 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 and also I, US. Um, and we always tell our, our guests, listen, in this section you really say as little as you want. So I'm no pressure really. Um no I did have a, a point have a thought, about uh, what does that do to innovation then? Because Obviously, Facebook and Google and Netflix will afford the fattest pipe and the mm. most information. Mm. What happens to the companies that want to take them on? Then do we just get stuck with the status quo? Mm. Um, it's interesting because you almost like you almost start commoditizing the wrong word. You almost start to monopolize innovation in a way yeah. uh, because ultimately, innovation of the future is going to be data, right? And how much data you have and what you can do with that data. So, I think that's kind of an un- unintended consequence of of, of net yeah. neutrality in its in, yeah. in its truest sense. Yeah. Is that a monopoly you're going to create, like oil, um, like gold at some stage, um, is going to be further augmented by you know, as you said, these fat pipes being owned by specific and we people. just got we just got. I mean the 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 undersea cables just landed on the continent. <laughs> like yo, I mean, it's not as though we're not struggling as is to to improve penetration, <laughs> and we're already being uh, anyway. It's it's fairly upsetting. America, do you whatever? <laughs> um, <laughs> moving into our discussion. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean that. I obviously mean I hope you do the right thing, but I know you won't. So hey, what else can we do? <laughs> sorry, so, not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. So. It's, again, one of the longest episodes we've had in a while, and I'm not sorry. Here's what, you know, Rashil is here to talk about. To set you up, um, Set Your Capital is is your baby. You, you, uh, you and your founders obviously have this uh, quite privileged academic background, uh, privileged also because you've worked at arguably the world's top two, top three um, consulting firm. 
um, at least Northern Hemisphere uh, consulting firm in the form of Bain. Um, and you guys basically drop out of that amazing setup to to do the unthinkable, which is you know apply yourselves to early stage venture capital um, on the continent, starting with uh, with South Africa. Um, you know, Musa and I sense that your company has, in principle, a lot of some of the healthier outlooks to or approaches to doing the VC thing on the African continent. So, give us a sense of what your premise is. Perhaps it's, you know, your in, in investment thesis. What are you here to do and how? And this is where I can talk at length. <laughs> <laughs> this is where we go, this okay, enough, buddy. Enough. Hey, Capital was started uh, with a view of helping SMEs grow. We've got 2 million SMEs in South Africa. Um, a lot of them, if you look at the stats, maybe three quarters of them fail within three years. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But still uh, SMEs make up 45% of GDP, then they employ more than 50% of the workforce. So we started Setcher Capital because we had okay, this privileged academic background, the great experience working with Bain and these multinationals, um, and thought what we've learned is more impactful at the SME level. Um, and SME, of course, being small, medium-sized enterprise. Yeah. Okay. Um, How big is that in your mind? So we are probably on the small side of that. No, in terms of like SME, like what when we say that, are you, what what sort of turnover revenue wise are we talking? about? I think the official definition is up to five hundred million rand okay. a year. Which is um, that's a sort of medium. Medium. Think, yeah. Okay. So that's about fifty million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we started Setra Capital because we feel as we grow these SMEs, they'll be able to create jobs, and we're sitting with. 30% official unemployment, probably around 50% mm-hmm. youth unemployment. Um, <clears throat> so if we could use our expertise to uh, invest in these small companies, solve the top three challenges that they face, uh, it being access to capital, management talent, and access to markets. Yeah. Um, so the model's been built around that, where we invest some growth capital, unrestricted growth capital, in these SMEs, uh, we second ourselves or interns to these companies for nine months to do whatever needs to be done. We act in whatever capacity, set the business up for success. They've already gone zero to one. We now need to take them from one to ten. Okay. Uh, so these are companies that are turning over a reasonable size. You know. Yeah. They they they're most of them profitable. They they've demonstrated success. Yes. So you're not you're not taking people from zero at all. No. Okay, so that's definitely um, because not I model. think that's that's a different skill set to what we have. Mm-hmm. And again, in our consulting backgrounds, we, we never started up a business, but we helped businesses improve efficiencies or grow or whatever the case is. So we're using that skill set on an SME level. And I like how you explained your role, like your everyday, like we're talking about, like what you do every day. And essentially, you're you're an MD resource to like your your portfolio companies. Yeah. As as MD etc., you are an MD resource too. To the operating company, so whatever strategy work needs to be done, finance, uh, marketing, whatever the the immediate need, and each company is different. Wow. Uh, we putting Bain quality, mm-hmm. like consulting expertise <laughs> mm-hmm. at that level. Sure, that's for, free. for free. Um, as part of the deal. As part of the deal. Well, how yes, much do you guys typically invest? In so these we, we typically invest up to five million rand, okay. um, and looking at companies with up to fifty employees. Um, so it's still fairly small, yes. but with that growth potential where we can, when we go and implement a CRM system or zero accounting software or whatever it is, it has that much more impact for them mm, um, yeah. because we can do it on the ground. And the beauty of the model is that it becomes 
much more repeatable. So what we learn from operating company number one becomes twice as fast for operating company number two or three. It's mm. Fairly similar-ish challenges that you're facing as an yeah. SME. Um, and we focus only on the uh, consumer goods and agribusiness sectors. And I can already hear some of our listeners going, what, of all the VCs you could bring for the last show, you, you know, you bring, you know, the, the MD of the one VC that doesn't actually invest in tech plays, <laughs> which, which uh, I mean, and to explain why really um, is because we haven't observed that many VCs operating in the way, you know, we feel um, uh, in, at least in terms of approach needs to happen in order to give, not just you know the startups a great chance, but really to deliver on business value, mm-hmm. and and we feel like this approach would play well even in tech focused or tech heavy sort of plays. But just out of interest, like why aren't you in that space? Because for some people it's like a no brainer. I mean, why are the three um, investments you've made so far not tech plays, and why aren't you even looking in that space? So it's it's. What value can we bring to these operating companies? And my experience, Brendan's experience, uh, has been FMCG agribusiness. So we know those worlds. We know how they work. And bringing that expertise to the SME level is a lot more impactful. We would love for this model to be replicated in the tech world with an expert in tech. I fully recognize what I don't know. Would you take on a partner Uh, who came, say, you know, hey, I've got like $5 million dollars. Yeah. Um, you know. So, 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 Secha, what we're doing is we're building these playbooks for the things that we know need to be done in small businesses. How do you get marketing done? So, with Musa, uh, how do you get social media or Facebook marketing? Mm-hmm. What's the potential of that? Uh, how do you install these accounting systems? So, we're building all of those playbooks and. Once we have that, that can then be replicated into a different sector, a different industry, right. with someone who is an expert there and can provide that operational expertise to that, that right. SME. So what do you think is not being done right in this space? Like, what did you guys observe as what was going on in the sort of VC space that you felt we're not going to do it that way? So I think it's VC and PE. And um, fair enough. So in, in the, Again, the distinction for our listeners, like, uh, we're not finance. V, sorry, venture capital is much smaller, earlier yeah. stage okay. investments. Private equity is usually full takeover of larger established businesses. Right. And you and guys do, you're happy with both. You play in both. We, you we, only take, to both. we only take minority stakes earlier stage, but with the private equity model-ish. Okay. Um, so it's like this hybrid, weird model to explain in, in traditional terms. But I think to answer your question, the, the challenge that we saw with the private equity model is you have to raise 500 million rand uh, because the, the traditional model is you take 2% management fee and 20% of uh, profits above a certain uh, threshold. So that 2% management fee needs to pay for your expenses. Yeah. Now, if you have a team of five people, um, 10 million rand is... is not yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you're going to have to raise larger amounts. But then what that means is you have to go and invest larger check sizes. Yeah. But there aren't that many deals. Yeah. Uh, and KKR, I was chatting to Musa, just pulled out of Africa, the big private equity company. Yeah. They pulled out of their Africa fund because there just aren't that many big deals to invest in. Yeah. But there are 2 million SMEs. Mm. So how do we change that model where you can write these small checks, but you, you're not incentivized by this 2% management fee or the 20% right. uh, outperformance. So that's how we try to, to change uh, the Satcher model. And then especially the operational support, that's a big thing where the founders are brilliant. The founders we've invested in have all been amazing. And the, the so What F- kind of businesses have you done so far? Uh, we've invested in a natural hair care uh, Hair care and skincare brand called Native Child. Okay. Uh, the second one was a Biltong brand, 
uh, called Stoffelberg. Which is a built on for those of you listening abroad. Don't beef know what jerky. That is. Beef jerky. <laughs> big, big deal uh, <laughs> in this part of the world. Okay. And then the third one was a footwear uh, manufacturer called G-Step. And so what, what would you say is the biggest uh, impact since your participation you've observed in, in these three companies? So I think it's how these businesses are changing the way that they operate. So... Okay, on the financial side, the business, some of them have tripled revenue within a year. Um, Snap, for real? But sure. they were on a growth tra- tra- trajectory already. Um, so I don't know how much is us, how much is them. Oh, so uh, modest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the way that they approach uh, business is very structured, whereas previously it was, I'll just do whatever needs to be done on the day. Yeah. Whereas now there's a bit more planning and foresight. Right. Okay, what's happening for the next six months? What are our priorities? Often with small businesses, you'll have 100 ideas. And we always say, if you have 100 ideas, you have no, none. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure you prioritize the top 10 or top 5 and yeah. then go and hit those hard. Oh, look, um, we've got the, the, the <laughs> consultants in the room now. <laughs> All right. But I think that's the great mix, right? It's okay. the consultant skill set with that entrepreneurial gut feel yeah. um, that works really well. And whose money are you investing? Um, like, do you have LPs? What's your structure there? We've partnered with Kalio Capital, uh, who are a wealth and asset management company, and they're raising from their high net worth individual base. Oh. So it's um, private. It's private wealth. Private wealth, uh, and we've structured. Has that been important to to giving you the freedom you needed to to make these sort of decisions or tweaks or hybrid decisions? Yes. So the the high net worths are often self made. Uh, they have been successful in entrepreneurship themselves, and we need them as advisors for our, oh. for our upcos. So we can call on them and say, "Hey, you uh, launched a successful product back in the eighties or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you please help us now with this route to market strategy or whatever, or be a mentor to the CEO of a company?" Um, so that's very important. And then also about keep, keeping capital local. Um, often you have international DFIs or foreign investors coming in, and then where does the money? Where do the dividends go afterwards yeah. it goes back the intensive part of your model is where i think all the focus should be going mm-hmm. on the actual startup extracting business value massaging it working with the actual founders yep. you know building up businesses that can later scale like injecting all of that the sensibilities for scaling that they might not otherwise exist in, in most founders who just start a business and they you know they get they get big i feel like that's super time consuming probably very expensive to do um, except I feel like it's also energy that a lot of sort of VC sort of PE outfits spend sort of managing investor relations yep. or, or sort of just <laughs> making sure they're on the same page with LPs and all that kind of thing. So have you seen, am, am I, am I judging that right? Or I think you are. Uh, okay. and, and that's why the model is slightly different because it's, it's very operational. It does take a lot of time, but when we were consultants, we were working 70, 80 hours a week. So sure. for me to dedicate 40 hours with... You're like, oh, my word, a holiday. I still have the Every same week. amount of time uh, to dedicate to it. But b- because we partnered with Kalia, we don't have to go out and actively capital raise. We don't have to do a lot of these things um, that traditional VCs need to... Brendan always says, we don't need to go to conferences all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about that because we had a very candid discussion about... And I love how... You don't shy from it, and I think it's great. I think we really need to put it out there. Musa, in some respects, represent that. I certainly represent it in many respects. Mm. The the sort of privilege sitting in this room um, in, in many different facets. In the context of what you're trying to do, there's certain things that people just as bright, just as driven, just as focused, or just as sold on you know the, the hybrid you're building would not be able to execute without a lot of what you and Brendan uh, uh, um, bring to the table in terms of like quote-unquote pedigree 
network access, etc. How, how do you guys navigate those issues? Because, I mean, they could potentially trip you up in terms of preventing you guys from actually growing the way you should or identifying potential, you know, correctly. So there's that side of things where it could be bad for your business because you, 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 have, you come from this and you are this. And then it's also just, doesn't it just suck that not just everyone could do this? In the way you're doing it. I think it does suck that not everybody can do this, right? Mm. It's that channel access. It's whether it's someone who wants to replicate the Secha model or it's the entrepreneur that can't get into the retail store because mm. they don't know the buyer or they don't have that, those networks. Or they didn't grow up in Stellenbosch. <laughs> 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 Excuse me. Um, but I think how, how we are mitigating that risk is building this playbook. That's just once once it's ready, we want to share it with whoever wants to do this. And... I'm as open to share my networks and my connections and everything that I have with whoever wants to make this work. That's very unbane of you. Mm-hmm. I think it's very bane. Is bane, it? bane is, uh, Don't I bane. pay to access that? Don't I pay like top dollar to access <laughs> No, you that do. Like? But but I think within Bane, everything's very sharing ah, and caring. Okay. And but yes, one bane. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. So I get, I get you. That was a low blow. Because <laughs> I know you guys are still friendly with Bane. And, yep. I mean, still so you leverage your relationships there as you should. Which is the hard work that we put in, and now we're we're leveraging yeah. those relationships. No, because I, I often hear like consultants say, "I'm a recovering consultant," <laughs> and I feel like, but dude, like, why would you do that? Like, that's like the big, that's the best thing you got going, like network wise. Like, why would you even give them the impression you 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 are not proud it's of that sort of thing? No, we we love the the relationship with the band. We still keep in touch with all of them. Uh, we had some externs come over and, oh, and really? work uh, with us. It's see, Musa's rubbing off on me. Like the brand thing, you got you got to manage that PR. You got to do the you got to manage the brand. No, but I mean, it's it, it's been really fun. Like having you over. Just also your your perspective. We like having people who are different to us come in here. Like bring us a certain perspective. And and frankly, just in in you answering some of these questions. I'm hoping our listeners are starting to sense like some of the things that we rant about. Like Musa's, you know, he's heading up a group of like three, three startups himself. They're all in the tech. Oh, you probably already know this, but I mean, he's got like some serious plays, you know, um, in ed tech and in, in, in ad tech and, and other things as well. And 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 he's again leveraging the best of everything he's gleaned, like being a corporate animal, with MBA, and all of that, into doing things in, in ways that no one seems prepared or interested in doing them. And I think. Um, we expect no less of people like you guys. Um, and I say that carefully because I know I represent a certain level of, of, of privilege and I need to figure out how to leverage as well every day. But yeah, but just in answering you those questions, I think our listeners are starting to say, oh, so that's what they mean. That's why it, it bugs, you know, Musa and Andile when, you know, VCs seem totally out of touch or they think they're just flying here, you know, drop some, you know, some money and leave or send like, recent repats or, or expats you know with a heart for africa and, and think they're going to make magic on the continent it's not that we don't want all these people participating in the ecosystem or investing in our countries just we can see why it's not going to work and why there's just so many better ways to do it mm. and and kudos to you guys just from like you're interacting with your team uh bringing in your team on social media we could and and just um, and just also doing our research about <laughs> these guys for real. Um, but also just, we just sense that, hey, like there are people doing it in, in ways that are different. And and just because you're not in tech doesn't mean this conversation shouldn't be had and that other investors uh, listening, trying to apply 10x the- theories and, and, and investor, you know, outcomes in, in the tech world shouldn't be listening to this and going, hey, maybe I can learn from that. And you're not alone, by the way. We've, I've had 
recent conversations with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to forget his name, but um, he's one of the more prolific angel slash VCs in, in Egypt, blew my mind, my conversation with him, just realizing that, hey, not everybody is, uh, is just stuck on this Silicon Valley copy and paste situation. Yep. Yeah, I, I like that interview because he, he talked about how he meets with his uh, investee companies every week. Every two weeks, every yeah. Two every two weeks, weeks he's like two um, hours and he, sc- he screams in there. No, he's, he, he has very... <laughs> I need to get to his name because this is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> but I think you say that we aren't tech-focused. I think every business now needs some tech, mm. um, no matter what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's... Brendan says... Saying today that you're tech enabled is like saying you're electricity enabled. <laughs> Every business needs some of this, and and this if you true. can leverage those uh, uh, tools, yeah. um, it'll just make your life that much. Yeah, because to, to be fair, I mean, some of your plays uh, have to figure out e-commerce. Some right. of your plays have to mm. uh, are sort of tech plays in the sense that when you're formulating a new hair product or or cosmetic product. I mean, there's not happening. And there's testing. There's all sorts of scientific approaches to that. Or, you know, I mean, it's. It's. I suppose I say tech in the context of what's stereotypically considered a tech firm. Maybe very strong software focus. But even those, like with the Bolton Company, for example, we we want a new route to market with a sales team. How do I manage a team of? 10, 20 people, and there's software called Repsley, for example, that enable us to to uh, put in the route that the the reps should call on. They can then provide us with feedback, take photos of the shelf. Is it in stock? Is it out of stock? Place the orders uh, on their tablet or whatever the case is. We get that, and then we can fulfill those orders mm. rather than the old-school method of putting it on paper and then shipping it down. Can I, I want to highlight what you're saying now. Yeah. Again, that sort of thinking is quite important because... Uh, even, you know, I, I get stuck in that rut sometimes and thinking of tech and innovation as like specific things mm-hmm. that only exist in the ether or, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if an enterprise is not inherently like software focused, it's not yeah. tech focused or innovation focused. Frankly, that's that's how Africa's richest man thinks, um, Aliko Dangote, and it's ironic given like how he owns like cement. cement. And I'm like, <laughs> how could that not be a tech play? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you're so right. And I think that's the kind of thinking um, where it's harnessing of tech and innovation in pursuit of a business outcome mm. or, 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 you know, innovation for that sake mm. and not the other way around, which mm. I think typically is the case where mm. there are VCs that go, oh, there's no AR in this pitchback, you know, oh, there isn't any, oh, man, I, if only you guys had like a little AI component, like, we'd, 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 we'd be all in, but... Um, a little AI component. Like, yeah, it was, it was a little, you guys have just shown some understanding of where this is all going. And I don't know why I just went into an American accent. But, but, but you get what I mean. Yep. I think there's, there's a lot of that too. Where it's like, can we just be all the way African? Mm. Like, the reason WhatsApp is a big deal on our continent is because is not because it's this app that oh so cool. Mm. It's because it's literally just, changing it's our just lives. Just SMSs that went to private school. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it is. That's what it is. It's what it is. And now, you know, so it's innovation chasing key outcomes yep. that are linked in, in business routine. So to your point, again, thank you. Um, I will never again describe you guys as a non-tech <laughs> 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 Because, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's no reason to do that. All right. Well, that's where we'll leave things for now. This episode of the African Tech Roundup has been brought to you by the Africa Tech Summit Kigali, which is happening in Rwanda on February the 14th and the 15th. We'll be there. Can't wait to see you. Uh, The event is, of course, being supported by the Rwandan Ministry for ICT, and it promises to deliver unrivaled 
Unrivaled insights, <laughs> networking, and business opportunities. No pressure <laughs> for African and international tech leaders and investors looking to drive business growth on the continent. Now, uh, the two-day gathering will explore the latest trends. It features 50 expert speakers. It promises to connect you with uh, 250 key stakeholders from across the continent through keynotes, breakout sessions, and networking events. Now, we're, of course, official media partners, and we are rooting for this event all the way. So here's your call to action. Head to africatechsummit.com right now. Check out the growing list of speakers who will be attending. And more importantly, take advantage of the $300 early bird booking rate, which expires this January. Now that's africatechsummit.com for all the info you need and to book yourself a seat. See you there. A big thank you again to co-founder and managing director at Setra Capital, Rochelle Vallap. Uh, and a big thank you, as always, to the homie, Musa Kalenga, for riding with me all year this year. It's been pretty awesome. Can't wait. 2018, it's going to rock my buddy. Um, thank you all for listening, for staying with us um, right here. You're the most important part of this show, our massive African Tech Roundup community. We love you guys. Don't stop those uh, tweets, uh, Instagram posts, uh, Facebook posts, African Roundup on Twitter facebook.com forward slash african tech roundup or drop us an email over the holidays hello at african tech roundup.com otherwise thank you very much for having me it's been super fun amazing great 2017 <laughs> all right, 2018, all right. i just realized i didn't let you guys get a word in. <laughs> <laughs> all right man i'm andy Masugu. look forward to you in 2018 don't forget we'll be dropping um quick tech chats podcasts all through the holiday season so those will be published weekly throughout the holiday go ahead and turn your notification settings on wherever you listen to us Simply check into africantakeroundup.com for all the freshest content drops. I'm Andile Masugu. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. <laughs>